Hello, everyone, and welcome to Happy to Meet Cute. This is Fallon here, as always, with my fabulous co-host, Courtney K. Did I just say fabulous? I, <laughs> I like made up that. a new word. <laughs> I like Whatever. Lists. It works. <laughs> it works. We do like lists. There you go. Uh, welcome back to another episode. We're super excited to be here today. We have an amazing guest in store for you. Um, but before we get to that, uh, Courtney, you want to tell us a little bit about what you have been consuming this week? Uh, well, thank you for that intro, my amazing, incredible <laughs> co-host, Fallon. <laughs> Um, it's just such a joy to do this podcast with you, by the way. Oh, same. Um, <laughs> and thank you all for joining us. We're having just a lot of joy doing this. Um, and what I have been consuming is, I'm I, okay, I am taking my time with it because I'm enjoying it so much. So I'm only a couple episodes in, but I'm loving Wednesday <laughs> on Netflix. So good. I have like two sides to my brain and heart and personality, which is I want all of the fuzzy feel good stuff. And I want all of the like, okay, what's macabre? Maca- <laughs> how do you say that word? Macabre? Macabre? Is that macabre? how you say- <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay. I love, I love it, love it, love it, love it. Like I love Halloween. I love all of that stuff that just takes your imagination down those roads. Um, but also done in a way that is escapist, right? Yeah. I can't handle like real world horror. <laughs> yes, same. Yes. I love um, that veil of fantasy. So Wednesday is 100% my jam. Also, Catherine Zeta-Jones was like my bi-panic um, <laughs> moment in The Mask of Zorro. <laughs> see that so we love Catherine Zeta Jones <laughs> um she's an incredible Morticia as we knew she would be um and I am so painfully sorry to the lead actor um Jenna yeah Ortega yes Jenna yeah. Ortega okay yeah it's awesome because I only know her from the Disney show stuck in the middle I think it's called- oh my gosh <laughs> I've never because, watched that. <laughs> um, my daughter loved it and we binged it during quarantine. And she's so great, like such a great, so great at comedic timing. And she just absolutely kills it in the role of Wednesday. Um, and just all of the cinema and like all of the sort of like quirky things you expect from Tim Burton. It's all there. Yeah. Um it's it's excellent. It has like it's like teen angst to the next level, which is always the vibe I've gotten from Wednesday Adams. Yeah. Um, I feel so that. I'm happy to see that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just loving every minute of it. So I also have a deep fascination, which sort of goes hand in hand with this, with um Christine McConnell. Have you ever heard of Christine Ooh, McConnell? No. Okay, you're gonna have <laughs> She, I am like fascinated, obsessed, all the things. So she is this like DIY, um, but to the next level. Mm-hmm. So she creates these cakes and pastries out um, that look like actual spiders or skeletons or mm. like she created 
she recreated the Hocus Pocus house as a gingerbread house. And it looks like a mini replica, but you could eat it. I love that. She also like creates her own like 50s style dresses and she's 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 incredible. And so that whole vibe goes with like that whole side of um, things that I also love. So I'm just devouring it. (laughs) That sounds amazing. It's definitely on my to watch list because I've heard nothing but good things about it. Um, Tell us. Oh, I feel like. Um, Catherine Zeta-Jones has not aged at all. It's so rude. It is really unfair. (laughs) Like, she literally, I, uh, as a musical theater nerd, became obsessed with her when Chicago came out. Oh, God, Chicago. Ugh, so good. Um, and she, like, looks exactly the same. It's not fair. Not fair. Um, but it's also great because... We haven't aged either, so I'm happy to right. see it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I know. I'm just like, she looks – I told my husband, I'm like, she looks exactly the same. Who is this person? Rude. I know. <laughs> what are you consuming, my friend? Oh, my goodness. Okay, so I finally uh, went last week to see Black Panther – um Wakanda forever Mm. and a couple things is I waited to see it I used to be the person that like went on opening day to all the Marvel movies um I haven't been doing that post pandemic mostly because I don't want to sit in like a super crowded movie theater um Mm -hmm. so I waited a couple weeks until like the crowds died down and I also feel like I had to like emotionally prepare myself for this one Mm-hmm. Um, because as a longtime MCU fan, I knew that the beginning of the movie with dealing with Chadwick Boseman's death was going to be really hard to watch. And it was, um, I basically cried for like the first 20 minutes of the movie and then, and also the last like 20 minutes of mm, the movie. Yeah. But I just was so blown away by how well done the movie is as a whole, Um, I just thought they handled the story so beautifully. I thought that, you know, they obviously address the loss of Chadwick in the, you know, the film, they deal with it as the loss of T'Challa. And I just thought it was so gorgeous. And the performances in this movie are so top notch. I know there was the thing going around about like, Marvel is killing the movies and blah, 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 which... Mm. To some degree, I can see where that's coming from. But also, I just feel like these performances don't get the respect and the credit that they deserve. Um, Like, Angela Bassett in this movie is phenomenal. Like, she should be nominated for an Oscar. And honestly, so should Letitia Wright, who plays Shuri, um, who, you know, is dealing with the loss of her brother and having to sort of, like, deal with this situation of does she you know take over as black panther does she um you know kind of keep herself separate from that she's going through a lot of like self-identity problems and questions throughout the movie um Mm -hmm. and i won't give any spoilers but like obviously there's some major events that happen that sort of push her in the direction of you know which way she needs to go and it's just so beautifully well done the um the villain in this movie is, 
I should say villain, like quote unquote, um, is probably the best villain that we've ever had in the MCU. And I hope that he makes an appearance again because his story is absolutely fascinating. Um, And there's just a whole other level to his story and how he ended up where he did and how he and Shuri kind of come together and have to battle. Um, And it's just, it's just a beautiful movie from top to bottom. I'm obsessed. I can't wait to see it again. I hope that it gets the recognition that it deserves. It probably won't because (laughs) many, many reasons. Um, But I just Mm -hmm. thought that it was so gorgeous You could just see the emotion from all of the actors um, really kind of coming to light. And, you know, when they're filming these obviously challenging scenes of, you know, the funeral and all of that, it's like, you know, that all of that is like real emotion. And it was just really a gorgeous movie to watch. And um, I hope it gets the credit it deserves. It was fantastic. So good. Oh, my gosh. I haven't seen it yet. And I'm really, really looking forward to it to it like those are actually the movies in the mcu universe that i I did see black panther and i absolutely adored it so i'm really really looking forward um yeah to this one and and like you're saying it is (laughs) multi-layered the feelings yeah yeah that is beautiful that they paid that tribute yeah i really enjoyed that aspect of it and i thought you know i think Initially, there were lots of different opinions and ideas about, like, what they should do. Like, should they recast Mm -hmm. the role? Like, you know, what's the best way to kind of go about that? And I think not recasting the role was the right decision. Um, Mm -hmm. And it really turned out to be, um, I think, a beautiful tribute to Chadwick Boseman and also a really good way to keep the story going and be true to the characters. Um, So it was really well done. And I... I'm excited to see it again because sometimes in those first viewings, that's like you're so hung up on like the excitement of it and all of the new things that you're seeing that I can't wait to go back and like really like sink my teeth into it and get into the nitty gritty because those are the the moments that I love because I'm a big nerd. <laughs> totally. No, I love that. And it's part of the reason why I love rewatching movies or shows that I yeah. really, really like. You always notice something that you missed. Totally. For sure. Love it. All right, friends, well, we will be right back with an incredible interview with the amazing Allison Cochran. This uh, entire interview with her just really kind of blew my mind. Um, she's incredible. Mm-hmm. So we will be right back with that in just a minute. Bye. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Happy to Meet Cute with me, Courtney Kay, and the amazing, wonderful, fantastic Fallon Ballard. We are so happy to have you join us today um, with our very special, wonderful guest, Allison Cochran. And if you can't tell by my like containment of squeeing in my voice, <laughs> Allison <laughs> is so special to me, a very dear friend, a partner in Holiday's 22 Crime. <laughs> and we're so excited to have her and talk all things about her wonderful holiday book and much more. And without further ado, let me go ahead and tell you a little more about Alice. Allison Cochran is a former high school English teacher and a current writer of queer love stories, including her debut novel, The Charm Offensive, and her also recently released Kiss Her Once for Me. 
She lives outside of Portland, Oregon with her giant dog and a vast collection of brightly colored books. She controversially, sorry, I can't say that word, believes Evermore is the greatest Christmas album of all time. Thank you, Allison. And she's probably sitting by a window right now hoping for snow. I love that. <laughs> Aren't we all? Okay. All right, my friend. Welcome, Allison. We're so happy. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. We are so excited. We have been gushing already about you nonstop. So oh, <laughs> we're both truly. freaking out. I think, Fallon, yes. it's very rare that we actually, as readers and authors, are able to like sit down and put everything aside and read an entire book in one day. And uh, what happened to you? <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely did that. Um, I found myself with a freedom from responsibilities, sort of, uh, on Monday. <laughs> and I obviously knew we were going to be chatting with Allison today. And I was like, all right, I'm, I get to read. Kiss her once for me. I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. And I started it and did not stop reading <laughs> until I got to the end. I was like, ignoring my child's <laughs> Ignoring all responsibilities. Editing, revisions. Did that happen on Monday? No, no, it did not. (laughs) But it was so good. It was just like the perfect book at the perfect time. Um, And we're like in that first week of December. So it was just like such a lovely little introduction to the holiday season. Um, And I loved every second of it. It was perfect. Oh, thank you. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, but for our listeners who might not have picked up Kiss Her Once For Me yet, which obviously you will do immediately as soon as you're done listening to this, um, yes. can you tell us a little bit about the book? Yeah, I'd love to. So like its most basic pitch is it is a sapphic holiday rom-com, uh, very loosely based on the Sandra Bullock classic while you were sleeping. Um, and then the, the slightly longer pitch um, is it is about a young woman named Ellie who is like in a pretty rough place in her life. Um, she has been fired from her dream job that she just moved across the country for. Uh, she's working at a job that she despises now. Uh, money is incredibly tight. She's like facing eviction from her disgusting apartment in Portland that she pays way too much for uh, <laughs> and doesn't have uh, any friends. Uh, she's just in a place in her life where uh, her her anxiety is kind of running the show and mm-hmm. she is stagnating. So she uh, ends up in a situation where a very wealthy man that she knows uh, offers her uh, essentially a fake engagement opportunity, you know, which is very realistic, happens all the time in, <laughs> in real life. Um, they, uh, he is set to inherit uh, some money if... Um, but only like once he is married. And so he asks her to to marry him in exchange for part of his inheritance. And while she is initially quite hesitant, a few shots of fireball whiskey later, uh, she <laughs> finds herself going to his parents' house um, for the holidays to keep up the ruse uh, and discovers that uh, his sister is actually someone from her past. So what? So yeah. Good. So good. So good. And it honestly has one of the best meat cutes I've ever read. (laughs) Am I? Yes, I know. I'm correct. I'm nodding. I'm (laughs) nodding. (laughs) It's so good. And your beautiful 
art that you had done for the pre-order campaign is of that meet cute and I'm and I'm just obsessed with it. And you also created within the book, there's also like a web comic, right? Called Snow Day. Yes. How fun was that to incorporate or like what was that experience like? Yeah, so it was actually so the the book has essentially a dual timeline or it has kind of like these flashback chapters within it. And pretty early on in the drafting process, my drafting process is really chaotic. So um, I I wrote, yeah, (laughs) in a a very old draft, uh, Ellie and the love interest, her name is Jack. They didn't know each other at all uh, beforehand. Um, And then when I wrote there, the scene where they met for the first time, uh, it just became really clear to me that they needed to know each other from the past, Um, Mm. that that was, it, it just felt right. And so I started experimenting with uh, some flashback chapters. One of the first ones I wrote was a meet cute cute in (laughs) Powell's uh, City of Books in Portland, because anyone who is, I think, a book nerd obviously (laughs) dreams about meeting a hot stranger in a bookstore. (laughs) Uh, And so I I wrote those (laughs) chapters um, and decided to incorporate them in the story, but they were not connected to the webcomic. Uh, until developmental edits with my editor when she read the book um, and her, her very, she said this very kindly, uh, but her initial feedback was that Ellie was a little too pathetic, um, which like, which hurt. Cause I was like, I'm Ellie. I'm, I'm Ellie, Caitlin. Um, when you said that, fine. I um, felt that in my bones. Yeah. <laughs> and so in, in earlier drafts, like she, she didn't have a lot of hope. She didn't have a lot of, um, Mm. you know, as readers, we couldn't really root for her to achieve something. Um, And so in the story, she was always doing art and web comics, like in that draft, in that old draft. Um, And so my editor wanted me to beef up um, the, the web comic part and talk more about Ellie's art. So we could have that as part of her character arc. And so I decided to try to make the flashbacks, the web comics themselves, to kind of use that as um, cool. you know, a structural tool to show that even though in the story Ellie has been fired from her dream job as an animator, um, that she is still there is still hope because she's still creating art and she is still finding ways to express herself, and that is what what art truly means to her. And so that she just has to find her way back to that. I love that. And I thought it was just such a brilliant way to show their past relationship without it being just like, you know, your sort of standard flashback that you always see. It was Mm -hmm. just like so creative and so fun. And um, in my mind, I was just like trying to, you know, picture like what all of the, the illustrations would be to go along with it. I just thought it was so fun. Yeah, I think a lot of people were disappointed there were not illustrations (laughs) in the book. And that is, I mean, I am not That's a whole other ball game. At all. Yeah. I was like, Mm-mm. no, that couldn't happen. Because um, one, that's really expensive. Like Atria is not footing that bill. Um, and I, uh, I cannot, I cannot draw. Um, but I did, Vanessa Kelly is one of my favorite artists. Yeah. Um, and they're on Instagram as V Kelly Art. And so I commissioned her to create uh, a sample of what the webcomic would look like. Um, and I am obsessed with how it turned out. Me too. So cute. 
I it, love it. It's very heart stopper of you and I'm obsessed <laughs> with it. <laughs> Thank you. Like, I feel like this needs to have a movie and an accompanying graphic novel. So yes. oh my gosh. that's what's, that's that would be what I'm putting into the world, <laughs> into the universe. A graphic novel. That would be so cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it's like a mm-hmm. re-release next year, next <laughs> holiday season. <laughs> I mean, I love graphic novels. So that would be a dream, but I have zero knowledge of how graphic novels are created. I'm always just like mind boggled by the thought that has to go into that, Um, you know, by the artists and also the writers. If it's a separate person, like that's just, I'm so impressed by their brains. Yes. Same. Um, You mentioned that your writing process is a little chaotic and I think Courtney and I both identify <laughs> with that <laughs> very much. Can you tell us a little bit about your writing process? Yeah, it varies a lot from book to book. But with this particular book, it was the first time I had to um, essentially like go through the formal planning process. I think for a lot of us, that's the case with our second book is that um, I sold my first, yeah, I sold, I sold my first book, right. It was completely done. And right. so I didn't have to, um, you know, I wrote the synopsis but after the book was written, whereas this was the first time where I had the experience of having to pitch the idea to my agent and then put together pitch materials for my agent and then put together the official like materials to submit to my editor for my option to sell it. And like, it was just such a different process. And so it's so funny to me, like the original ideas for this book were completely different than how it turned out. And like Mm. what um, is actually in the the book, because uh, like I said, the idea began with uh, the Sandra Bullock classic while you were sleeping. And so in the OG draft, like Andrew was in a coma like there were it was like a totally different there was an amnesia plot like it was just vastly different um and you know because I was always talking through those ideas with someone else like my agent when she saw the coma she was like oh girl no I'm so sorry but but no um and like she was right so thank goodness um but it's just so funny to me that uh yeah you just have to there's so many more steps and like conversations about the book. And then I think even what we sold to Atria was nothing like the book that I ended up Mm. writing. Um, And so I'm just, I I tend to, yeah, make a lot of changes um, as I am writing to structure, to, um, you know, sometimes point of view, um, often like really vast changes like to the plot and what happens just kind of based on writing it once seeing how it goes and then realizing like no that didn't work I need to try something different yeah (laughs) I see you Courtney (laughs) yes I feel so seen right now (laughs) I do think it's really interesting as we write our second books uh just how the process sort of has to change Mm. um and I think that that's a big struggle because it really is the first time that you're writing solely. I mean, not solely, it's still for you, but you're writing for someone else. Um, and they kind of tell you not to do that when you're, you know, writing your first book and trying to sell it. It's like, write the book of your heart and, you mm-hmm. know, write the book for you that you love. And then all of a sudden it's like, all right, well, now you got to write a book that 
these other people are gonna <laughs> love and uh you have those expectations sort of weighing on you and it's um it's a, a rough situation sometimes to to push through that yeah he- you know what's interesting sorry. too is I had sorry really quick I had these moments where I was writing book two now that I finally turned it in yesterday Woo-hoo! morning Yay! at five a.m. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god I had a lot of these moments where because like you Allison I write it and I kind of realized okay no that's wrong and have to go back and fix a lot of things I ended up rewriting it like four and a half times two different outlines like it was all over the place. I don't know if I would have had the energy, like, part of me was like, this is so, it feels awful to be in this, like, deadline kind of like, but there was this other part of me that was like, I feel like I may have given up on this book if if I wasn't contractually obligated <laughs> to do it. And yes. so I think there is something to be said for whether you're in a contract or not, like having external deadlines or motivations or people who are going to keep you accountable. Cause I think, you know, it just gets so hard when you're in the middle of it. Oh yeah. It's like a blessing and a curse. And like, for me, I'm like, that money is already in my bank account. Like <laughs> I got to deliver this book. I don't want to give that money back. Like, <laughs> right. yeah. So I, I feel that I probably would have also given up on writing because her once for me, if it hadn't been contractually obligated. So glad you yeah. didn't. Yes. Oh, thank seriously. you. Seriously, because it's the best. Um, While You're Sleeping is like my favorite holiday movie. Yeah. You just can't Mine go wrong too. with that. Yes. Oh. So good. Mine too. <laughs> no, I'm like, I need to watch it again. <laughs> and the fact, like it is, like it, it really is just so gay. Like I really feel like there are just so such good moments that are like, yes, that's gay. <laughs> and I'm really glad that you also felt that way. And put it into novel form. Thank you. Yeah. Bill <laughs> Pullman looking like a lesbian in that movie is just, Ugh. it's so The jeans. The jeans in that movie are top notch. It's true. His <laughs> jeans are phenomenal. And I just love the like, the flannel, like tucked into the jeans with like the Carhartt jacket. Just that whole look is, right. oh, it's so amazing. So good. Okay. So and good. It, isn't Jack wearing that in the art, like when they meet? Oh, yeah. Like yeah, a sun- that exact like- outfit. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I no, I, I, I stole that exact outfit from Bill Pullman. I mean, in that movie, Bill Pullman's character is named Jack. So yeah. that is like the one thing from the movie that I really kept is that it was a, you know, it's meant to be a queer twist on that in so far as her fake relationship is with this brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the original movie, she falls in love with with his other brother um Mm -hmm. his brother and in this she falls for his sister instead i love it so good all right i feel like there's um no easy light fun segue into our next topic (laughs) which i promise will lighten things up a little bit towards the end but i know that we (laughs) did want to talk to you a little bit about writing through some uh struggles so writing when you're you know maybe mental health isn't feeling as great as we want it to be um and then also maybe some of your processes as a writer with adhd if you want to speak to either or both or one of those yeah i mean i 
this book was really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I wrote my first book where a huge theme is, is mental health. Um, and in fact, like it was writing that book for myself originally that got me back into therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has been such an amazing experience. I, I love my therapist so much. Um, I've been with them for, for two and a half years now. And I, I have grown, you know, so much in terms of managing my own anxiety and depression. But as I was writing this book, there were times where it felt like I had regressed so much. Um, and after I, I finished this book and kind of turned in uh, the last round of edits uh, early this year, I, uh, I had a pretty horrible depressive episode um, that la- that was also because I made some very dumb decisions regarding my medications. So some mm. of that was on me, uh, but it was a really tough time. And so, and um, I tend to have pretty brief depressive episodes, like as part of how my brain works, but this one lasted like five months, um, which was, was really tough for me. And so having to figure out how to be a full-time writer when I was really depressed was a huge challenge um, for me and something that I hadn't, you know, was a new experience uh, to navigate that sucked a lot. Yeah. 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 That is tough. And I do feel like um, I know for me when I was writing pre- having a contract in a book deal, you know, you could take that time for yourself as you needed it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, nobody was really going to suffer. You know, it was like, if I didn't feel like writing or if my headspace wasn't that great, I could just be like, all right, great. I'm not going to write for a week. And, you know, who cares? Um, But it is definitely different to have to kind of push through those moments. But I think one of the things that stands out to me as a reader about your books is just the way that you handle mental health in your books Mm -hmm. feels just so authentic and real. And that really comes across on the page that you're handling these topics with just like such sensitivity and such heart and such care. And it just that's one of the things that I think really made both of your books like such huge standouts for me is like, as I was reading them, I'm like, Oh, I totally understand these feelings and I totally can relate to these characters as they're going through those struggles. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, I totally understand what you mean about when you're on deadline and you're depressed, it's, it's a completely different experience. And so for me, it was five months of my therapist being like, what if you don't write? What if you just take a break? Does the world end if you don't get your book three submission materials in by this exact day that you have arbitrarily decided on? Um, and, you're- <laughs> and it was like months of me like fighting my therapy, you know, and me resisting that. And every single day getting up and sitting down in front of my computer and forcing myself to work and just it being so hard and and quite frankly, like I was miserable for, for such yeah. huge chunks of um, that time where I was trying to put together my book three materials. Uh, and so it was, it was months of like, finally, finally listening to my therapist and being wow. like, what if I don't write? What if I just understand <laughs> that I am depressed right now and like writing new stuff is not going to happen in this moment. Um, and that is okay. Like, Stop comparing yourself to other people's timelines. Stop looking mm-hmm. at 
you know, writers who are publishing five books a year or whatever they're able to do, like that's amazing for them. But that is not something that my brain um, can do. And that's okay. Uh, it's okay that I had to push back when I got the, those materials turned in, which is why my, my third book won't come out until spring of 2024. Um, and it was just because I was, I was really dealing with depression and what I didn't know was undiagnosed ADHD. And so, um, yeah, it was having to let go of that. It was really only the pressure was coming from me. It like, wasn't my agent was incredible when I was struggling with my mental health. My editor wasn't even asking for stuff. Like it was, it was all coming internally from, from me and my self-comparison and of course my depression brain, which made me feel really bad for not being able to, to create. Um, so yeah. So then I just hiked the uh, Camino to Santiago in uh, Portugal and Spain. Yeah. And that was really great. So I always recommend just doing like a 200 mile hike uh, if you're super <laughs> depressed, just like, just walk for two weeks straight and um, don't let yourself ride at all. And beautiful things will happen. So um, that was amazing. Really, yeah. It was finally <laughs> me able to, I was able to like listen to my therapist and what they were actually saying wow. and to accept that like, wait, maybe I should trust them on this because they are right about everything. <laughs> I mean, maybe they know something I don't know about this process. Well, and there's a huge thing to be said for stepping out of your everyday surroundings to help your internal thought process or emotions and what's going on inside, right? Having like something, something new on the outside a little bit, however that yeah. can be accomplished. <laughs> yeah. And for me, travel has always been a, a huge part of my adult life. I travel, you know, usually uh, pre-pandemic, like at least once or twice a year internationally. Um, and I hadn't done that in a really long time because mm. of the pandemic. So for me, part of it was like, yeah. sometimes I just need to see new shit. Like I just need to remember that sense of awe that you get when you're somewhere brand new and it's beautiful. Um, and, and you get to experience something. Yes. Yeah. And remembering Outside that. Of... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh yeah. No, you go. No. And just like remembering you're more than your writing. Yeah. Right? You are a yes. whole person and you deserve to have experiences like that, that, that fill yeah. you back up. Exactly. And it was so nice to get in touch with my body too. Mm -hmm. um, and to just spend some time like in my body, because of course it was, it was strenuous for me. I am not super physically fit. So walking, you know, 15 miles a day was, was a lot. Um, and it was also like, I don't know. It was so joyous to mm. uh, really kind of return to to my physical self and those external experiences. When, of course, as writers, we spend so much time living inside of our heads, or at least Oof, I know for me. Yes. Like, <laughs> often my body is just like a meat suit that carries my brain around. Um, wow. and so it was yeah. it was so nice to to have that experience. So yeah, I think you're you're so right, Courtney, about reminding ourselves that we're whole people. Yes, I love that. I love the idea of just doing something totally different, going somewhere totally different. And that really can just like reset your brain. I think your brain needs that every once in a while, like a little, you know, we have to restart our computers. Mm -hmm. Yes. Do a little yes. restart. <laughs> exactly. And I love what you said too, about your publishing team being so supportive. I know like um, just briefly in my experience with writing book two, 
having those deadlines for the first time and having that added pressure of, I don't feel well, but I have to get Mm -hmm. this done. And kind of being nervous to ask for help from your pub team or it's like I, I had such a growing experience as a professional this year as well because I was I decided I can't handle this on my own. I need to ask for help professionally, like from my pub team. So I went to my agent and my editor and I said, hey, you know, this book is going to require a lot more than I thought it was and I need more time. And we ended up pushing the pub date back um, to like a, a the next season, it was going to come out in spring and now it's summer. And we, I had like multiple deadlines and I ended up needing a little more time each time, like a few days or whatever to get it done. And I was amazed at how supportive they were. And so I, I took away that, okay, it's okay to ask for what you need. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, what's the worst <laughs> that's going to happen? Is there, you know, I mean, you're, you're doing your best to get it done and make it right. And they can't, you know, you can't be faulted for that. So I think, like you said, going to your agent and kind of being like, oh, wow, (laughs) there's a lot of support here. You know, everyone on your team is wanting to support you and wanting you to do well. And I think learning how to ask was a huge lesson for me. Yeah. And it's so hard to do with like depression brain, especially like, I think even just hearing your experiences, Courtney, as you were going through it was really (laughs) helpful for me and like reinforcing that I need to, to ask for help and that deadlines, they're not usually that set in stone, right. As much as you think they are. Mm -hmm. Um, because of course my depression brain says like, Oh, don't ask for help. If you ask for help, they're not going to want to work with you ever again. Like if you're difficult, Um, you're, yeah, my depression brain was like, absolutely not. You have to meet all these deadlines. You're so lucky to have a traditional book deal. Like don't do anything to jeopardize that. You must be this perfect, like work machine. Um, and yeah, my depression brain was just lying, right? Like it was just not telling me the Mm -hmm. truth of what the experience was because once I sent that email that, you know, for me, it was like, I had to be like, I am horribly depressed. We had said I would get this to you in February, like, and that just cannot happen. Like physically, there is no way for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. And the, of course, the response was was so caring and compassionate. Yes, because we're humans, right? And our pop exactly. team is too. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think we all forget that some, from time to time, and I think you know, there can be readers or, you know, people out there who do kind of expect you to keep churning things out. Um, And other authors can do that. And that's great for the people that can do that. But you certainly, you know, can't expect that for from everyone. (laughs) And part of Okay, so I know we wanted to talk about like some shows and exciting things. Are those is, <laughs> are there certain shows that like helped you kind of fill back up as well along with your travel? Or if you want to tell us more about your travel and places that you've loved? <laughs> um, yeah, I for me, I know like Our Flag Meets Death was a oh, really important piece of so queer good. media that came out like during my depre- like I think I watched that show all the way through like 
maybe five times, like within the first month of it coming out, because I was not in a good place. Like (laughs) I was so sad for no reason because every, it was really hard because everything in my life was so fantastic. Um, and then to be like struggling with depression, um, was challenging, but our flag means death was one of those shows that, yeah, it just filled me back up in like all these beautiful ways. Mm. Um, and so I love that, but Heartstopper, which I know we wanted to talk about is also one of those shows for me where like, um, I, I have also probably seen that show like five times through at this point. Um, cause I'm a, I'm a rewatcher. Once I find something that brings me comfort, I just watch it on a loop. Me too. And so, yeah, Heartstopper was definitely one of those for me. Um, and the graphic novels were too. I read the first three graphic novels, I think, um, the summer after I sold the charm offensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remember like, reading those and being like, wow, it's so beautiful to see, like, to see that other people are also writing about mental health in these like really gorgeous ways. And so I, I love Heartstopper. And the, so I haven't read the graphic novels yet. So I actually didn't realize that they do deal with a lot of mental health rep. That's really cool because I don't think the show delves too much into it. It does a little bit, yeah, right. it starts tease. Yeah, I think it Charlie. starts teasing Charlie's journey, um, okay. which is is further developed. Um, so the the graphic novels there are four of them right now, and the first two graphic novels are the first season of the show, and so I believe the oh. next two graphic novels will be season two. Um, and, and I think so, they signed on for yeah. two more seasons, two and three, I believe. Oh, did they? I thought I it was just so. one more. Um, but yes. I, I want them to make it forever. I love that show. Um, (laughs) It's just, it's so great. Uh, So yeah, they, they deal with mental health uh, and really meaningful um, and like nuanced ways within a short amount of time, you know, graphic novels are are so brief. And so I'm always impressed by Alice's ability to, to tackle those, those topics with such nuance. Absolutely. Um, One thing I love about the show too, is just, I mean, everything about it, so it's really hard to even, like, (laughs) decipher what I love. But something I really love when books are translated into cinema, like, on the screen, is how they keep the feeling with color and music. Mm -hmm. And I loved how they brought in the illustrations, like, on top of the moments. I feel like it was even more exciting and immersive to see like when they touched hands and there was like an electricity bolt artwork or mm-hmm. something like that. It was like, Oh, so good. <laughs> and it made me it's, want to go read the books immediately. Yeah. It's so good. And well, so Alice Osman like wrote the show as well. As, oh, so like oh um, entirely, um, <laughs> yeah, she like entirely wrote that show. And so was That's very terrifying. involved. I'm I terrified so too. Of, of that author. I, it's I, incredible. I can't imagine. And like, yeah, she was just writing season two and it was like, it was a lot. Um, and I'm like, yes, yes, it would be a lot to write an entire television show on your own. Um, yeah. Like, what the heck? Wow. So very impressed and also concerned for her. Because <laughs> um, that's, that's a lot to take on. Uh, but I think that's part of why, yeah, the show just 
was such a wonderful translation um, mm. of the graphic novels and was able to incorporate that art um, because that was that was her. Um, but yeah, I just love the show because I think, and, and Courtney, um, you know, I, we both are people who figured out our sexuality later in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we did not have the experience of, of oh. being queer teens. Yeah. And so there is something so fulfilling to my soul when I see queer teens represented in the media. And so to me, that was just like, oh, like it was so... I just loved it. I would have been Tara. Like if I had actually come out like in high school, I would have been Tara wearing that giant oversized sweatshirt, never doing her math homework. Like that was a hundred percent me, right? That like messy, never brushed hair. Like, oh my gosh, I saw her and I was just like, yes, that if I had been able to come out as a teenager, like that, that is me. Um, And that was really, I don't know. There was something sort of vicariously fulfilling about that. Oh my gosh, I couldn't agree more. And I think that added another layer of just love for the show. Like part of it almost like healed something in me. Like, cause like you said, and I, and I know we, I, I think that we both add a lot of queer community to our books because it's something that we didn't really fully get to experience growing up. Um, And so being able to see that also reflected on a show and see like that whole experience. I like, like when Nick watches um, Pirates of the Caribbean. (laughs) I know. I love that you, yes. I had a moment where I was like, oh, wow. (laughs) So it wasn't just me, (laughs) like being attracted to all of the actors and realizing like, okay. (laughs) I saw Pirates of the Caribbean in theaters like six times. Um, Granted, I like worked at a movie theater at the time. So it was mostly for free, but still it was not healthy. The number of times I saw that movie. Oh my gosh. Yeah. There were just so many things that made me feel seen in that, in that show. And wait, you worked at a movie theater. I feel like I need you. Are you ever going to write a novel about that? (laughs) About movie theater stuff? Uh Um, probably not. I worked in a movie theater. Uh, that was my high school job. Okay. Um, and my memories are both foggy and not fond. Um, oh, no. I mean, like I loved, I saw really every single movie that came out between like 2003 and 2005. And there were a lot of stinkers. So that was a, <laughs> you know, I saw movies all the time and that was great. But, um, yeah, I doubt it. When Tim, Timothy Janowski was writing Never Been Kissed, yeah, um, which takes place at a drive-in movie theater. So different than working in a, a movie theater, but also he has a scene where they're making movie theater popcorn. And we were we had to get on a call and he was like, okay, like would this make sense? Could you do this with movie theater popcorn? And I was like, no, that's not how it's made. Like, I know because I made like thousands of batches of movie theater popcorn in my life. Like, no, here's the process. Like I still have that memorized. So that's amazing. Um, that's amazing. The research, like the very specific. I love that so much. Well, because, you know, you get that you I don't know about y'all, but I do that where I'm trying to pull off something super silly, like just a gag. Like it'll be like one joke that I want to make. And in order to tell that one joke, I have to understand something so random and obscure. And I'm like, (laughs) oh, my gosh. And so I'm like deep diving, like watching YouTube videos on something where I'm just like, this is not worth it. It's not worth (laughs) that one joke, Allison. But um, but here we are. (laughs) I think it's worth it. 
it's worth it. Oh my gosh. Movie theater popcorn is always worth it. That much is for sure. Can't go wrong there. Um have an addiction to popcorn. It is so my go-to snack um, mm. to this day. But now that I make it like at home on my own um, in a slightly healthier way, I look back on what we put in movie theater popcorn and I am, I am pretty horrified. So oh, um, no. just, okay. Just, don't, tell know, like, don't tell I, us. Don't tell us. I really enjoy eating things that are definitely clogging my arteries. Like, you know, there's joy and comfort in that, but yeah, movie theater popcorn is uh I, hopefully it's changed. Hopefully it has evolved in the I last. I doubt it. Um, I doubt it. <laughs> Twenty years, but uh, yeah, it was it was pretty sketch. Oh no! <laughs> I love it. I am uh, very into popcorn. My kid is very into popcorn, but he has um, like braces right now, so he can't eat it. And no. you would think that I am denying him all food and water. Like <laughs> It's like, how dare you keep this from me? It's very that's, intense. That's how I would feel. I also kind of think yeah. maybe nobody should be eating popcorn. I don't know about y'all, but like the kernel stuck in my teeth situation, um, yeah. like somehow also like the older I get, like the worst, I don't, I don't know what's happening with popcorn, but. Don't give um, up, Allison. Often, yeah, I'm often like, I think <laughs> actually here. humans were not, we're not meant to eat popcorn, but I'm going to keep doing it until my like teeth fall out. Like I'm just going to go for it. Okay. So I have to know, since you are a popcorn aficionado, <laughs> how do you have like a go-to way to make it at home? Yes. It's not that fancy. Um, it's just the way that my, my dad makes it. Uh, and so like, you know, you get the, the kernels um, and then you put a little bit of olive oil in a pan, throw in a couple kernels. So, you know, when it's, it's heated because they'll start popping then you like pour in the rest and your little bit of olive oil um and then to season it i just once it's popped um i put a little bit of olive oil on instead of butter um and then and salt and that's it and i think it's like so delicious do you do Um, like the what's it called the the what's it called the larger salt like the kosher salt or do you do yeah i don't i do table salt okay i think it's possible my dad does like the fancy salt because he kind of fancy, um, but I'm I'm not. So I just use Morton's. Um, but yeah, it's so good. But I also love, I love bags of popcorn. I love white cheddar popcorn more than anything. Mm. I have a, a bag of that, like sweet and salty. Um, why am I forgetting the popcorn brand? You know, the purple bag? No. Or maybe you don't. Okay. Well, um, somebody listening will know that there's a purple bag of like sweet and salty popcorn that is the greatest thing. Is it Boom Chicka Pop? To... Or, or yes, boom... it's Boom Chicka Pop. Yeah, whatever that is. That's it. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I like bought it just in anticipation of being sad at some point this week and being like, I will want <laughs> Boom Chicka Pop. And so it is like, it's there for me. And just knowing that. it's there is a comfort. I love that. Yeah. We- we all deserve a emotional support bag of popcorn. I think so too, <laughs> for sure. I love it. I, I don't know why I'm very attached to that now. I'm going to need an emotional support <laughs> bag of popcorn. It wouldn't last in my house like because my, my daughter also really, really, really loves popcorn. So that would be gone. So I would need a backup like in my closet, which totally <laughs> a secret stash of popcorn. If I had children, yeah. that that would be my go-to. It's just my own supply. Yeah, I you once had actually sure. 
a very secret stash of candy in my closet in a shoebox. Um, and I decided I couldn't do that anymore because it disappeared within like a week. Yeah. <laughs> I was the only one who knew about it. So. It was that all you. Of- <laughs> couldn't blame anyone else. <laughs> oh, Allison, it has been such a joy to have you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Let me yeah, see. This was an amazing conversation. And uh, I love that we can talk about serious things and then also spend a good five minutes talking about popcorn. Yeah, sorry. Um, I really <laughs> took us down that no, road. No, I was right was a, there with you. Yeah. We were right there. That was a good place to go. I'm going to try. I'm going to. Okay. One time I had bought kernels and popped it in a pan and I did it. But now I'm very scared to do it again. <laughs> so I, mean, I have like have a, a fear of like the oil. <laughs> My my partner will not. She all has that same fear. And so like I have to be the one that makes the popcorn. She is like, we would just do microwave otherwise because okay. I don't want to get splashed by the oil. And I, I do yeah, occasionally get splashed. So it's high risk, high reward um, for that homemade popcorn. <laughs> I'm gonna try it. Oh my gosh. I, I'm, I'm gonna brave it, so it once again. Yes. Recommend. Uh, Allison, can you tell everyone where they can find you on the social medias? Absolutely. Um, the best place is Instagram. Um, and I am just there under my name, Allison Cochran. Um, and yes, that's the best place to to interact with me and engage with me and the only social media I actually know how to use. So <laughs> highly recommend. That is fair. Um, and if you have not already, the Charm Offensive and Kiss Her Once for Me, both absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. You cannot go wrong with either of Allison's books. They're amazing. Oh, thank you. This was delightful. Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you, everybody, for listening um, to Happy to Meet Cute. And we will see you on the podcast next time. Hugs and kisses. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Happy to Meet Cute. If you enjoyed our podcast, we would love it so much if you would give us a follow on social media. We are at Happy to Meet Cute on Instagram. And also, if you could please leave a review and subscribe, that would be amazing. If you would like to follow your host, you can find Courtney at court underscore K K A E on all social media platforms. And you can find me Fallon Ballard at Fallon Ballard everywhere you imbibe your social media. If you would like to buy any of the books mentioned in this episode, you can find links in the show notes and a special shout out to Zachary Kibbe and Matt Ballard for our amazing theme song. Thank you so much for tuning in and we hope to see you next time.